Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 7, Episode 3. My name is Bradley Meprock. I'm CEO of Project Voice. Today, we've got a great panel. We're going to get to that in just a second. We were scheduled to be doing the Voice of Healthcare Summit in Boston today, uh, which has been at Harvard Medical School for years. Uh, they closed that event venue during the pandemic to everyone and everybody. Uh, so we were going to do it at Northeastern. Uh, Northeastern uh, decided to have some bomb threats. So we canceled the event um, and we are not doing it virtually. Uh, we're not doing anything else virtually uh, other than this show. Uh, we're, we're, we're back to in person where we can uh, just because that's where the value's at. So um, everybody knows that who was scheduled to attend the event, but nevertheless, uh, thinking about the people of Boston, thinking about the people uh, in Florida also today uh, with the hurricane. Um, so thought I would address that to start the show. So we've got a great panel. We're really excited about who we've got on the show uh, from all over the place. Uh, Timo, I'm going to start with you. Um, tell us who you are. Tell us about Aflorhythmic. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Brett. Um, yeah, my name is Timo um, Kunz. Uh, I'm one of three founders of Afrorhythmic. So Afrorhythmic has been going for uh, three and a half years. We are actually uh, London-based with an office in Barcelona. Um, what we've done, we've uh, actually created an um, AI infrastructure that pretty much emulates the entire production process that we would normally get out of a studio. So actually, we make it very easy to go from text, not only to speech, but then pretty much whatever else you would do in a studio, whether it being you know, jingles at the front, background music, mixing, mastering, and so on and so forth. And we make it still very easy to put it somewhere where then you need it, whether that's being a audio ad or a podcast or anything. And um, all of this in API first approach. So pretty much developers are invited to uh, build with us and we do very ambitious um, enterprise uh, projects in the voice and audio space with that. Um, yeah, that's me. Thank you for joining us. Really interesting company. Yeah, appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. So next up is Chris Ezekiel of Creative Virtual. Chris, say hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks. And thanks for inviting us, Bradley. Very nice to be here and talking about these stories today. So I'm Chris Ezekiel. I'm the founder and CEO of Creative Virtual. Um, we've been going nearly 19 years in the space of virtual assistants, chatbots, conversational AI. Those terms have changed over the years. And uh, yeah, we... Uh, we um, specialize in, in two areas, really. One is the, the experience that we bring to help companies deliver these solutions, these automated natural language processing conversational systems for large enterprises. And uh, so that's the big thing that we do. Um, lots of experience of doing these over, over that many years, of course. Uh, but we also have a, um, a great tool set on the back end, the technology to help companies uh, implement these solutions and make them successful. So all of the content management, knowledge management, all of the integrations with the backend systems that need to be done and all of the personalizations, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, that's that's us. Uh, I guess, um, uh, yeah, the companies we've worked with are, are large enterprises, as I said, uh, so big banks, big telco companies. And I guess if you want to think about us as an organization, what we really help is provide that kind of boutique type experience for those large organizations to help them uh, really customize these conversations and focus them on, on business outcomes and, and make them successful. Excellent. Thank you for joining us today. Last but not least, Sean McElrath of Artificial Solutions. Sean, tell us about you. Tell us who Artificial Solutions is. 
Sure. Sean McGrath, I've been in this industry for, you know, probably about 12 years, just in terms of conversational AI and the automation space in general. Um, built a very large business here in the U.S. prior, and now I'm here to help artificial solutions in our next generation. We've uh, been in business for 20 years, have a lot of IP. Uh, recently, over the last two years, we've shifted to a fully SaaS model. We're uh, no black box, no delivery on our side, just allowing people to have the tools to really build something consistently and hardwiring that to the value of Azure to unlock it. So really now Teneo, which is our platform, is more of a brain where folks can kind of choose their pieces and parts of technology, but the digital agent aspect itself still can operate at scale and keep the guardrails online there for them to achieve the outcomes that they're looking for. Um, many of the largest telcos in the world and, and some of the most unique retailers um, that are out there uh, are using our products at very massive scale to the tune of, you know, tens of millions per month. That's great. Thank you as well for being part of the show. And thanks to all three of you. <clears throat> really interesting work uh, across the board. So we're honored to have you join us. And with that, we're going to get to the news. And story number one, I'm going to read this uh, out loud from the New York Post. Siri, Alexa, and Google Home make children rude and antisocial, according to a study. So uh, this was all over the place. Uh, this just came out yesterday. I think I had uh, a gazillion, and that's a technical term, a gazillion people email me this. Um, so figured it'd be a good thing to, to uh, discuss here on the show. And uh, Sean, I'm gonna start with you and then Timo and, and, and you, Chris, and we'll rotate through as we go along. Um, Sean, uh, this is interesting. Um, what uh it, it's a uh, controversial you know uh interesting headline what what stood out to you uh and what are your thoughts about this uh this piece i, I mean frankly it hit home um between my fiance and i we have five children that are all younger you know and you know kind of ranging from eight to eleven and i think it's absolutely accurate you know like if you kind of make a comment that you know say um, you, you know, my fiance and I like, you feel like, oh my gosh, like didn't get it right. Or, you know, especially like with Siri and stuff like that. Sometimes when you're doing speech to text, like in the car, you know, they kind of pick up on that and, and absolutely start sort of saying, oh, like this is dumb or, or didn't get it right. Or, you know, have different expectations for it. And, you know, we might think that we're sort of joking around with it, but, um, you know, the, to them, they don't really know any different, like, cause I think it's a little bit more tongue in cheek for us because, you know. I, I try to explain to my kids, of course, they don't understand. I'm like, I, I didn't, we didn't have mobile phones, you know, when I grew up, <laughs> like it was just like run out in the street and play and be home by, you know, dinner time. We didn't have all this, uh, you know, all the technology basically to communicate there. So like, it's what's funny to us because we know that we have this luxury now to them. This is just how life is. And yeah, they, they kind of just start beating up the, the virtual agents or the different systems that are out there for, you know, any shortcomings they have. <clears throat> it's interesting, isn't it? Um, it's interesting to think about. And uh, Timo, I'm going to turn to you. Um, you heard Sean uh, has uh, numerous children. Uh, interesting insight on that. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, it's 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 a funny one actually. The um, the first thing I had to think of. So we we had a um, we have a demo on our website, and of course it's a text box, and you can put anything in there and you want to. And it's it's very telling, like where people's thoughts go. With this. So of course we lock all the entries, and of course the majority is not safe for work. And uh, it's it's uh, it's it's I I think I think the way. Um, 
the way you're like sitting in front of a screen or pretty much having a computer or a robot or a voice assistant in front of you like really decouples everything uh, from like normal, normal behavior that you would expose if someone is around. And I think this is uh, kind of like what this article pretty much touches on. And I think it's always very surprising how we how fast we adapt our behavior when a new, new technology comes in. So I think is the pandemic has the best uh, has been the best proof point for that. So if we see how like uh, Zoom actually changed every etiquette that we knew be before. Right? So before the pandemic, it was very much unacceptable to show uh, the background of your house or to uh, you know have children running in the background. And uh, also like the way we interact with Zoom, we uh, you know with with deal with literally everything that is communication and. You know, you could actually go on, point to Twitter, uh, you know, how Twitter and how email uh, email etiquette has changed in very, very rapid ways. And, um, yeah, I think there's uh, there's the, there's the, the, the same here, right? So um, I think uh, children used to be socialized with uh, mainly, you know, humans in front of them. And it was very important to... Uh, um, to have a, to follow a certain etiquette, all of a sudden you put in, you put a robot in front of them, and that requires pretty much um, let's say new structures for them to 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 learn certain things, right? And also, uh, um, I, I think what's what adds on top of this, none of these examples that I uh, mentioned before are particularly human. Um, however, now actually, uh, I mean, you know, these voice assistants are very much modeled on human interaction. And of course, now that's entirely decoupled from the face that you normally see in front of you. So I think that's a that's a new challenge uh, that we need to um, live with and pretty much that we, I'm sure, rapidly will find solutions for. But it's a very interesting one, yes. No, that's great. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, uh, I think that's interesting just to point out, you know, I mean, the pandemic changed so much and you're right, it, 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 it definitely illustrates to us if we didn't know already how quickly we're capable of change. Uh, Chris, I'm going to give you the last word on this. Actually, we'll open it up for conversation after this, but I want to go to you. You've heard two different thoughts that are pretty pretty aligned on this. I want to hear yours. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think as humans, as we've evolved, I mean, this technology is, is relatively recent in human history, of course. And I just wonder what that's going to do to the way we interact, because so much of what we do is based on emotion and facial expressions and like we're on now you can't pick up all of that with these 2d <laughs> modes of uh, of communicating and i've got a 15 month old son in fact 15 months today actually <laughs> so uh so i do i do fear for, for for that lack of human interaction which which the article humans human interaction um which the article touches on and so i do think there's that there are serious uh consequences i think um, I think like all things in life, though, it needs to be a balance. You know, these technologies do have their use. Um, we can communicate quicker, more globally, um, you know, without having to jump on airplanes. So they've definitely got a use. Uh, but I just think that we have to, as parents, as a society, have a balanced approach and make sure that our kids are, you know, going to the play group still and um, pushing each other over and, you know, doing all those human things that that are still so uh, very much important. But, but the other thing I'd like to pick up on is like some of these articles, um, some of these new things are not really that new. I mean, what's new is that they are becoming more mainstream, of course. But, you know, being in the, the chatbot conversational AI space for so many years, um, you know, we've seen people build relationships with technology uh, all through all through those years. People do, even when they don't know they're real. Um, sorry, not real, I should say. Um, they still build relationships with them. You know, there is that need. There is that need. And uh 
you know, I think the article talks about this, you know, um, supporting people that may be uh, um, are lonely um, as well. So it does have a role to play, a serious role to play there um, uh, for people like that. Um, but I do think there's wider issues than just things like Siri and, and Amazon. And, um, you know, I think increasingly um, AI systems and computer systems in general are behind human interactions and decisions. I mean, I, I just recently last week came back from a trip and I just tell this tale quickly because it's one of the worst cases or, or best examples, worst cases of the computer says no that I've ever experienced. And that was, uh, uh, yeah, there'd been a human error. Um, you know, you get to the the, the check-in, uh, sorry, the gate uh, ready for the uh, departure of your airplane. Uh, you're reassured because you can see the airplane there, but there's a bit of comm commotion around the staff at the gate. And I I quickly find out that um, what's happened is that um, there was a human error um, back in a contact center somewhere where, uh, or, or the back office somewhere, and that a person had accidentally deleted the wrong flight from the system that had been cancelled. So it was all no longer checked in to fly on the plane. And uh, But for some strange reason, one person was. And for about half an hour, they were really going to let this uh, plane fly from Amsterdam to London with one person on board because the computer said no, it wouldn't allow the check-in of the passengers that had already checked in. I mean, absolutely incredible. But it just brings it home to me. You know, when we talk about computers taking over the world uh, and, and AI being the, the solution to that or whatever, or the problem for that, um, you know, I think in some cases, when, when, I, when I find examples like that, I think in some cases, you know, it, they already have <laughs> because behind most humans today, is a computer telling them what to do in those situations. And uh, yeah, I fear for that world as well. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, uh, that is a good story. It, uh, uh, so I have a 10 year old uh, who will be 11 uh, in a few weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, my wife and I will tell him to go to Alexa for, you know, confirmation that uh you know augusta is the capital of georgia or you know mm -hmm. uh two times 38 is indeed 76 or what whatever mm -hmm. and you know it's um uh, it's not my perception that uh, he's rude to the device, um, but this article kind of makes me wonder how much or how little I'm paying attention to that. I think it's kind of interesting. So from that standpoint, I think it's good just to sort of get our antennas up and uh, sort of do a, a, a check on how, how we're all interacting with these devices. Um, you know, it's uh, the other thing that I sort of wonder is, um, you know, there it's, it is, correlation and causation right i mean is uh it, do children who are antisocial uh and already have a predisposition to be rude do they gravitate to these devices um because they are that way or uh do they uh do these devices uh have a feedback loop that makes them more that way um you know the article just kind of drops this concept on us and it really doesn't dive in i haven't read the paper that's behind it uh you know this this just came out yesterday um but uh, nevertheless these are all i think you know helpful things to to kind of be thinking about um any uh any closing thoughts on this one before we move on uh, no sean please I was just going to say that, I mean, from my perspective, I, I don't know, like I, at least my kids, I don't see them being antisocial with it. I just think it, 
you know, when I look at the, those types of assistants, you know, I kind of worry more about like, are they, you know, not learning to read as well as they could or learning to write as well as they could because they're using speech to text, you know, when they do searches and things like that. Um, but but I, I don't know. I don't really see the antisocial part of it. I don't think they're having conversations like these are still like very task oriented point in time type requests. It's not like they've got, you know, a, a, a robot friend or something like that that they're talking to. And um, just just from my side and Brett, I think this gives you probably the, the perfect segue to 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 the next article uh, in in the, the list. I think I think it can go both ways. Um, and uh, I am um, old enough now to remember the uh, the Tamagotchi craze, which is uh, now already a long time ago. But I think that was the first time where really, I mean, people became excessively emotionally attached to pretty much their little robot in in their um, their pocket. And I think uh, in the future, um, if I think about robotics, especially, I think companionship actually and pretty much replacing social interactions with whether it being um, it being uh, um, just pure voice or um, I, 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 where I would really bet on is pretty much in the robotic space that companionship is going to be uh, is going to be one key application of robotics and also pretty much um, you know the other extreme that actually people will become emotional emotionally attached or pretty much um, let's say Im improve their uh, improve their social life uh, rather than have it deteriorate or their um, how the article words it here in their um, I don't know their social skills, manners, whatever you you you, you want to put it. Um, I think that will uh, that will happen as well. And um, we've actually also seen it uh, plenty of times where actually um, people are, let's say, overly or unreasonably emotional about like pretty much the attachment they have towards a piece of audio, pretty much how how they interact with with a speaker. So, for example, uh, just 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 one example. I know. Um, I, I, or I, I've heard people say that actually they interact at the end of the day, they interact with their voice agent, uh, with a, um, uh, sorry, with, with their voice application just to hear someone's voice and pretty much wish them, not wish them a good night, but pretty much hear something, uh, a, a personal message at the end of the, the day. So I think it will be, it will very much go both, both ways. Yeah. And I think we shouldn't forget that these do have a service to provide. I mean, there are these fears, of course. And as I said, you know, when I made my first comments about this, that I think it is a balance. You know, we've got to treat those, um, our teacher, children and the next generation, those those life skills. And, and that includes interacting with other people and reading, writing, all the things that we've spoken about. But I also find that people, um, especially, you know, maybe vulnerable people, and it may imply to, to children that, you know, have anger to get, off their chest, you know, through that to a computer or a device better than another child. But also when I, when I see the interactions that go on with some of our chatbots, conversational AI systems with banks, you know, people sometimes are more willing to talk about their vulnerabilities, their problems with debt, for example, to a machine than they are another human. So there is that support and, and you touched on it, Tim, the, the companionship bit. And, uh, you know, I do think we have to kind of recognize that too. But, you know, getting that balance right for me is is, is really the key thing. I, I think for what Chris is saying too, I've seen the same thing, especially from a, an adult perspective and sort of those like debt or, or those types of situations, maybe medical or healthcare type, you can be more honest, right? Like where mm -hmm. in those questions, but, you know, kind of from, from this perspective, like on the children's side, I guess for what I would say is like, I mean, I, I would like me personally, like I wouldn't, my kids are going to get older now. So like, I'm not worried about it, but I think that's just like, you're not, giving your five-year-old necessarily a, a mobile phone, you know, or smartphone, mm -hmm. 
to basically play with, like, or letting them have unfettered access to an iPad. So with these types of uh, companions or robot companions in the future, like, I don't think I would actually get one for my child. Like, I'd just stick with a puppy, you know, and, and let them play with that. And, um, you know, I like for me, I, I don't have Alexa around the house for the kids either. You know, like it just it's I think they can get off the couch and turn something on. And, and Sean, just to, to clarify, did you say you had five children from the ages of eight to 11? Yep. Between my fiance and I. So we're we'll, we'll say a prayer for you uh, in between stories. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's good. We've got a little wolf pack. There you go. No, I, I look, I I, uh, I am continually fascinated by uh, I'll say this and then we'll we'll move on because you're right. The next story does uh, have connection to this. Uh, I'm fascinated by the number of people in this space who um, either don't have voice assistants in the home or who, who limit them sharply for children. Uh, mm -hmm. There's an episode we did. I, I'd have to go back and look at what season it was. I want to say it's season two, where we had um, uh, Kesha Williams on, who was uh, the, one of the first Alexa champions we had on the show, and she's uh, well-known uh evangelist uh in the space um and uh, she's a minority uh woman and uh she said oh yeah you know I'm, I'm a alexa champion but uh no you know i have my children unplugged she said she has them unplug the devices every night um as some sort of ritual and i just thought that was very eye-opening and this is more of a continuation of that where there's this unease um you know there it's not settled in any way you know mm -hmm. how our children ought to be interacting with this and this is with a group of technologists on this uh show uh this week and every other week um and so uh that i think that's the largest con you know that kind of speaks loudly uh without even hearing all the great comments that y'all made uh we will move on story number two and i'm going to read this out loud uh here are the new features amazon is adding to alexa and could have taken this from anywhere, took it from Engadget, uh, thanks to them. So um, I guess my question is, and, and Timo, we'll start with you, Chris, uh, and then you, Sean, um, for this one. Um, did it, what stood out, you know, Amazon does these events. Uh, I just find it funny. They don't even have a name. They just call it an Amazon event. Uh, people do pay a lot of attention to these. I'm wondering, First of all, how much attention do you pay? Um, and, did, you know, did anything stand out here? Who did, Do you care? Do you not care about this? Tell me how this uh, article struck you. Yeah, I think you just get into a habit, don't you? You, you put one of these in your home. Uh, we do have one. Um, it's the Echo Show version. And we just get used to playing a bit of music on it, uh, adding things to the shopping list, um, I heard in one of your other uh, broadcasts, um, uh, productions, uh, Bradley, uh, someone talking about, you know, what, why you're cooking and you've got messy hands. It's a uh, you know, great, great device for that. I mean, getting back to that, you know, kind of trust thing as well. I mean, you know, I remember buying my mum one when they first came out and she sort of loved it for um, playing some music and checking the weather and things like that. It became a bit of a gimmick for her at first. But then she heard and read some article about it, listening into conversations. She unplugged it. She never plugged it in since. So, <laughs> so I think it, I, I don't think it depends. I mean, um, I, I'm not so keen. I know the article talked about shopping for clothes and I'm not sure about that. I think there's some things that, you know, you know, we, we just need to go into stores to do. Um, you know, otherwise we'll just be in that mode of 
um, ordering 10 things of 10 different items and sending you know 95 percent of them back and i don't know i just don't i i, I just I, I just don't buy into that use case too much um i think we we get these things we we use them we don't pay um i know at my home we don't pay much attention to, to the new stuff that's going on on them uh, we, we find some niche areas where we like using them and and uh and, and that's about it no that's yeah that's great and timo i'll go to you and then sean i'll go to you for this um uh anything stand out do you care about this uh hit me with your thoughts and and uh how this struck you uh yeah for me the big and interesting item in the arctic bmw um doubles, uh, pretty much doubles down on um, um tightening the partnership with with amazon so i'm uh, i'm super interested in what's going on in in car OS. um like much more actually than i'm interested in uh, you know whether, whether Alexa let, lets you buy clothes now or any, anything else. So, so I think that's a, that's a fascinating area at, at the moment. And in the next few years, I think there will be a massive shift in uh, how we actually look look at cars. Of course, I mean everybody's been talking about um, self driving cars now for way too long, and I don't want to uh, no don't don't want to get into into that. But I think what's uh, totally undebated is that. Um, cars are going to go the same way that um, pretty much virtually uh, all other equipment went in the past years. It's going to be a it's going to be some piece of hardware with a lot of software on it, and not not the other way around. And I've been um, I've been very curious, like what uh, whether the car manufacturers are going to avoid the uh, many mistakes that, for example, the computer um, and uh, of course the the mobile phone industry has. Uh, has has gone through and pretty much being uh, having their cake eaten by um by pretty much software ven ven software vendors coming in so i was actually extremely skeptical on how whether um i mean google has a has a car OS, of course and uh to what level actually uh, car manufacturers are open to integrate these tools and now that actually that bmw pretty much uh, gives more uh, from their pretty much their um their 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 software in their cars away to amazon which i feel is it will be uh, the will be very much at the core of their value creation in the future. I think that's very surprising for, for me actually that Amazon is successful with that. And, uh, yeah, I'm watching that space closely. Closely, it's a, it's a fascinating um, uh, um, uh, um, a field to watch in the next few years. And Sean, I want to turn to you. Um, you know, have a sense of how you'd answer this on a personal level from the previous, you know, the story. But on a professional level, do you pay attention to stories like this? Uh, is there anything that stood out to you? Hit me with your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I'm here in Austin, right? So Tesla and Elon Musk are around here, so we get you know quite a bit in terms of like uh, what's happening. I, I'm with Timo. I think it's crazy that um, they're going to allow Amazon to kind of front end their data. I wouldn't be doing that if I was them. Like, I, I just think it's, that's an extremely valuable asset for them to mine and they're enabling, you know, a partner, obviously in this case, but that's, that's going to be something that I think, uh, you know, is going to set them apart. I'm sure Chris will agree too. Like when you look at like just the experience and what they have that's relative to them, like, you know, I think you kind of always look at these sort of digital agent solutions, which this one's a little bit more probabilistic um, versus, you know, doing a job, which I, I think is kind of like what Chris was explaining prior, where there's a defined parameter for it. Um, uh, yeah, I just wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't want to share that data. Mm, I think it's so, so dangerous. And you've got what the Apple, Google, Amazon, you know, these ecosystems. And I think the thing that gets lost, um, a couple of things that I think get lost in the conversation, you know, when we look at the car 
I mean, the car's a great use case, of course, you know, for voice, absolutely. And I think it, yeah, um, very interesting. But these ecosystems, um, you know, are growing. And I think we lose, you know, the word that gets lost is interoperability, you know, between those different systems and, and what that means. And, you know, what about the people that can't afford to buy into one of those ecosystems? I know there's some really um, interesting stuff going on with, uh, uh, you know, kind of cheaper solutions um, to, to these smart speaker systems. Uh, I think it's the what is it the Mycroft AI as, as a as a as a good example of of that you know where it's kind of much more open source. So obviously there's a lot to play out there, um, but yeah, those ecosystems in in, in the interoperability of them, uh, I think it's going to be a um, a key point moving forward on those as well. I'm curious to hear all three of y'all before we get off of the story. Um... So, you know, at the heart of this, it, it was interesting to hear the, the, your, your comments, all three of y'all on this. Um, but from a, um, from a business point of view, you know, here's a company um, having their own event to show you their own news. And a lot of companies do this, of course, almost every, you know, plenty of companies do this, some big, some small. Um, is anybody paying attention to this? You know, I, I think five years ago, you know, the first time Amazon did an event, it was in the fall. It was when the original Echo Show got rolled out, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. uh, they had Echo buttons and a bunch of stuff, and it sort of became a tradition. Um, and this was a different kind of thing that they did yesterday, a little bit more broad-based. Um, but uh, uh, there's such a battle for attention because uh, we're still you know, in-person's coming back, but, you know, we're all behind a computer screen day in, day out. There's a battle for everybody's attention constantly. Do people pay attention to companies uh, stepping to the mic and, and issuing forth their own <clears throat> propaganda? I mean, I, I, I just, uh, I like some of the updates, but I just don't think there's a lot of mileage with all of this. Any comments on that? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know from my perspective, like how many folks really like engage in it, but, um, I mean, it's certainly you know newsworthy and cool. I think that you've got your partners like BMW and Disney that are clearly involved in that sort of you know PR and the media aspect of things and signing off and what they want to get out of it. But I mean, I I just go back to you know BMW is a brand. Like I don't know if I want do I really want the brand that's in theory everybody's house in a BMW. Like do I want the BMW experience. Yeah. But but I think I think Tim might have touched on this earlier about the um, again it comes down to interoperability doesn't it between the hardware and the software and the software companies you know really you know taking over it and I think um, you know to me it struck when I was reading this I, I couldn't stop thinking about well the fear factor of like Apple potentially producing its own car hardware with um, all of its uh, slick software um, going on there and uh, yeah I think you'll see more of these moves where you've got data software manufacturing coming together um because they know that's going to come down the line soon um you know those companies that are going to produce the whole whole shebang just like it did with the with the smartphone and as we were touching on earlier what, what's happened with the likes of you know nokia and companies like that it's very interesting i think but but to your point i mean i yeah i felt the same i thought mm, yeah it seems a bit of a, a strange uh relationship there to to, to go down for, yeah, for and around. i, I and then I think there's a third component to it. So as, as Sean said, it's pretty much you're giving you're giving away the data, which is a massive strategic disadvantage, of course. Then uh, I think the point you are um, 
you're touching on is pretty much you encourage uh, everybody from Apple to Amazon once they once they really much got the software part figured out. Well, now that, let's do the easy part and put some hardware around it, and boom, there's the there's the next iPhone in in car form, right? However, yeah. I think there's there's also another component is I think that you're also totally losing the opportunity to make this a pretty much the standout feature or pretty much a, a, turning this into a competitive advantage, right? I mean, it's already we're already I think at a point where you choose your car no longer whether you know in terms of uh, uh, some 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 parameter in the um, info leaflet, but actually you know you like it because it feels right and you can connect your Spotify to it, right? And it's it. Yeah, there's a nice place for your phone, and it just it just feels good. And I don't know, the couple is in the 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 right place. So I think exactly. I I think BMW or a company um, of the size of of, of BMW. Um, you know, you can say what you want about old uh, old school car companies, but they totally have the opportunity to outperform uh, with their knowledge to outperform uh, Google. Um, Amazon, Apple, and so on and so forth, of building something super tailored to the car and and creating, you know, using the voice assistant part and the software in the car to really uh, create like the next level outstanding experience that you can have in a car. Yeah? And I think uh, I think this is probably for me that's even worse. It's actually you give up that opportunity to create a massive uh, competitive advantage for yourself and retreat to pretty much putting up a piece of hardware that everybody at the end at the end of the day will be able to copy. Yeah, I think the surprising bit for me was they built um, uh, the, one of the use cases in in the in the article was about you know calling the breakdown services. I mean, <laughs> you know, how easy is that to do? Is that a revolutionary? <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe what's interesting is um, you know what Apple are doing with crash detection in their latest watches and phones. But anyway, that that, that that's a, an obviously great use case. But I mean, calling the breakdown services using voice, I'm I'm, I'm not sure is going to be the, the the killer app for <laughs> for that. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it, just to kind of make sure we parse it out a little bit, like for me, like I, I don't have a problem with use say like a map application, you know, Google yeah. Maps or whatever map application you have, and so that sometimes gets jumbled together. But like the experience that I'm driving a BMW, how this BMW operates, like what I'm going to do in the BMW, and all those native type things that are related directly to the car, like yeah, like I think the team is kind of nail on the head. They should be looking at giving a specific experience inside that car. Um, you know, again, maps or some sort of other general application that is pretty standardized at that point. You know, choose choose what you want. Um, but at the end of the day, what we're really talking about too, for the most part, is that you've got some basic triggers for an action and mostly search function and kind of yeah. some probabilistic stuff. Like it's not. So, I, I mean, I think they could easily replace it in the future should they want to give that expectation there. I mean, you've got, heck, if you've got an iPhone or whatever, you can just talk to Siri, you know, it can do the same stuff for the most part. But yeah, I would, I would just like in other situations, I would like to have a very designed experience for me that I'm getting, especially in a luxury car, you know, from yeah. BMW, not from Amazon. We know how much customer experience is the differentiator today for organizations, and it's handing over that customer experience of your car to someone else in that effect, is it, to that effect. So, yeah. we'll we'll leave the story there. Yeah, interesting, interesting comments, uh, and uh, appreciate the conversation on that. Uh, we'll I'll actually just drop that right there and, and let that uh, let y'all all three have the last word combined on that. I want to move on to this third story because there's a lot of meat on the bones. I'm going to read this. It's from something called the European Business Review. Conversational AI is asking for ethical oversight. How can humans best answer the call? 
So there's a lot of meat on the bones with this. And I like to include stories like this um, that kind of have a lot of surface area to them um, and uh, sort of see what stands out. And Sean, I'm going to start with you on this uh, and then Chris go to you and then Timo, I'll close with you uh, on this particular story. Uh, there's a lot of words in this article. What stood out to you the most with this piece? I think, I think for me, it's sometimes hard to get my head wrapped around, you know, kind of what we're talking about here. Like just, it's just almost like what I call it kind of cloudifying something that we're just grouping everything in like conversational AI. I mean, I, I, I look at most of this stuff that's basically not a defined outcome. Like as I was just saying, is some sort of search or, or probabilistic type thing that's going there that I'm trying to just trigger something almost like an IVR. Um, it just happens to be coming in a different form you know, on that, like when I think about conversational AI, I think about a really deterministic outcome and experience that isn't going to be, you know, it's going to be designed really to give somebody that consistent, you know, every time solve the need, be refined, you know, ensure that we're getting to, you know, solve that end user's issue um, in a conversational way that understands you know, context and those types of things. So when I look at this, like, I, I don't know, like it's, I think it's a very wide definition to the types of things that are out there, like where there's probably hundreds of different solutions. Uh, conversational AI to me is just, it's going to be more deterministic than probabilistic. You know, this is more like about search. In your mind, before, uh, before I go to Chris, I'm going to ask him the same question. I'm sure I'll ask him the same question too. What, what is responsible AI? So responsible AI is in the, a phrase that's used in the, the summary of this piece. In your mind and, and in what you do every day with artificial solutions, what is the definition of responsible AI? Yeah, I mean, I think from a market perspective more so, because like, again, for us, it's going to be deterministic and we're making sure it's not self-learning and, you know, there's going to be some approval process like from, uh, you know, human perspective. So like when you get into these sort of search-based things that the algorithms, like I think is sort of the key that, you know, you've got to <laughs> got to have some boundaries set up in terms of like what it's actually producing. But, you know, in this situation, um, I think there's also a question of if there's if it's performing functions, especially in a car, to the example we're just talking about right now, you know, access has to be limited, you know, in terms of uh, what that, you know, what that system can actually touch or do. Interesting. Yeah, that's great. Chris, uh, I'm going to turn to you. Uh, a lot of meat on the bones with this particular piece. Um, yeah. It covers a lot of ground. What what stood out uh, to you? Yeah, I've got lots to say about this, so I'll try and be brief. But <laughs> of course, because this is an area that we're very much in and talk about all the time, um, a bit like Sean uh, as well. And, and and absolutely agree with, with Sean as well is that you know it's based on these you know deterministic outcomes uh, for businesses. And this term is so misused. I mean, self-proclaimed business experts. I read a, a, one of these papers recently that talked about conversational AI being a list of these technologies and lists out the technologies. I mean, it's crazy. It's it's um, it's complete rubbish, of course, because it all comes down to, you know, the experience that the person gets, you know, the outcome that they get at the end of the day. But getting a bit specific, and especially about the, the ethics um, around this, I think you just need to be clear. Um, what is the automated system? And what is the system that's the human element um, in the conversation. And I think if you're clear about that, you from the outset, you set the right expectations. Um, so it's very clearly marked for our customers that you're talking to a, a chatbot or a conversational AI system. And if you hand over to a person, say through live chat, that's that delineation between those two is, is very clear. It's, it's a very clear action. 
And I think that solves a lot of the issues that come up in this in this in this particular article. Um, it's a little bit more nuanced than that, though, when you think about the agents, because we are now seeing agent assist solutions, as this is real people in contact centers, even on the telephone still, being prompted by these type of systems to give answers or next best actions, as they're so called. So, you know, again, 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 kind of what I was saying earlier, we get we get caught up in the the chatbot or the um, you know the avatar bit of the representation, but humans are being prompted with these systems as they interact with people, even on a telephone. So I think there's there's that bit to it, which wasn't really covered in the um, in the article, but I think there's to, in our minds is that piece to it as well. But I think the key for us is is you know making that delineation clear, you know who you're interacting with and why, um, and the AI piece. You know, I think is also a bit irrelevant in it. All of um, the conversations, the most sophisticated, sophisticated conversations that we create through our conversational AI system, as as it's being termed these days, uh, doesn't use the AI bit at all. You know, if you're going to, you know, make a payment or um, you know book a ticket, uh, you know, whatever, you know, that's done in a conversational way. And I think the thing that gets missed is the bread and butter. You know, you need integration with the back-end CRM system, the knowledge systems within that organization to create an effective outcome, which is benefit to the person because they get served in a conversational way, benefit to the organization because they've been able to do that without, you know, using a person in the contact centers to do that. And I think, Sean, to the point, you know, these are uh, repetitive tasks that you can automate in a conversational way. And quite often, AI is not used in those conversations. Um, in fact, AI gets in the way. Because it, it, you know, kind of overrides and tries to come up with based on some probabilistic or you know kind of data model, um, its its own its its own response, and and that gets in the way. AI does have a place to play, um, but you know, not not so much in the conversational systems that we put in today. Uh, there's there's normally always a human in the loop, and it's a hybrid approach. Um, that, you know, that's the term we use, and uh, so yeah, that's that's. Uh, and I think the ethic bit goes away when you approach it that way. When you're not just relying on a black box or the machine learning component uh, to to come up with, um, you, you know, almost random and uh, non understandable from humans about what's going on there. No, that's interesting. And so you 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 realize, and, and I think that there's some you know similarities with. Uh, I think you and Sean echoed a, a little bit of this. Uh, a little bit. Uh, there was a little bit of Venn diagram intersection there, but you both made very interesting points. And it, isn't it interesting to to think about? How you know maybe four or five years ago, uh, uh, ethics uh, you know concerns or, or you know ethical questions orbited around exactly the opposite of what you're saying. The using humans, including humans, when when all all the, it was discovered that all these different large tech companies have humans involved, somehow that was associated with uh, a, you know ethical concerns uh, because pe people were caught by surprise by that and. Uh, and now, like so many things, the, it's, it, the pendulum's turned 180 degrees the other way. It's just kind of interesting to note. I agree with a lot that you said, and same thing for you, Sean. But, Timo, I want to turn to you. A um, lot, lot of meat on the bones with this particular article, a uh, lot of words. Uh, what stood out to you? Uh, yeah, I felt the same way. I think it's it's uh, it summarizes a lot of uh, very, very broad questions and, um, yeah, cover, covers many, many topics. I mean, we so um, when we get requests for either interviews, PR, anything, 
I, it feels like I think almost half of them want to discuss AI and uh, ethic and AI. And AI. So there's clearly there's clearly a topic, uh, or there's clearly an appetite, um, a big appetite for the topic. I think in the article it it's exactly that. So it covers like pretty much all uncertainties, all fears, or all concerns that somehow touch ethics um, and AI. I always have the impression a lot of um, uh, a, a lot of the fears uh, in that space actually. Um, have been there in the past in a different format. And let's just give you uh, one example. So uh, one of the services that we offer is is, is voice cloning. And um, we have, um, you actually, um, um, uh, we, we normally, we ask people for consent. So you need to actually read that uh, when you record with us, you need to actually read that it's you and that you confirm um, that you want your voice cloned. And then also, of course, voice data is, um, uh, personal identifiable information so we keep it as safe as we would keep your credit card information and so on and so forth only you can access your voice and so on and so forth yeah. um so um however like the question that comes around very a lot is kind of like oh yeah but uh you know with that new technology in the future we cannot trust anymore what we hear so if you actually if you then hear someone say this and this you don't know if it's an ai or if it's it's anything like this uh, if, if it's a uh, if, if it's the 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 real deal um up until I want to say a couple of decades ago, right? You could trust a picture. Like if you would see a photograph, you knew that this actually happened. Yeah. And then along came came Photoshop and all the other tools, and all of a sudden you cannot trust this anymore. Yeah. And I think we've adapted very well to to uh, to, uh, to to this, right? So if you now, if you actually see a cat shooting a gun, riding a, di a dinosaur on a picture, you um, know that this didn't happen. That that it might be or is probably fo fo uh, probably Photoshop. And the reality will be. Uh, that actually, um, with everything that you said, uh, or pretty much what you what you see and uh, video, and pretty much also what what's being said, you will not be able to trust that in the future, and that's just the reality. But we've dealt with that in the past, uh, and I think a lot of these questions uh, that we're touching at the moment with um, um, AI and ethics, uh, they are actually um, they are driven a bit by uh, concerns that we cannot deal with them, and that's something. It's an intimidating black box. I absolutely get that, uh, and uh, we need to keep the oversight of it. And that's a task we need to uh, we need to solve. However, as I said, I think it's a task that we solved in the past. Well, the the final story here, which I'm going to get to right now, I'm watching the clock, and we want to uh, keep us on time. Uh, dives into this, and I'm going to read the uh, headline out loud. This is from the Sun. Uh, Darth Vader will be voiced by AI after star James Earl Jones signs over rights to iconic roles. So this, this sort of dovetails with some of the things we're talking about. Uh, there's definitely an ethical component to this. Uh, Timo, I'm going to start with you, and then Sean, I'm going to go to you, and then Chris, I'm going to give you the last word on this. Uh, briefly, tell me, is this, I, I think I know how you're going to answer this, Timo, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got an inkling of that. Uh, but uh, is this, uh, first of all, this story was really confusingly written, uh, for, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll ignore that. Um, uh, is this type of thing good? Brief answer, hit me with it. Timo, you first. Yes, of course. And I'm glad you asked me first because it's my favorite story in the bunch. So a re-speecher made the voice, fantastic company, fantastic te technology. I saw next week you have re Resemble uh, AI um, on the show. They just released a similar speech-to-speech uh, -speech feature. I think it's, cra it's great technology. And of course, you need to have the consent and the license to actually use that voice. However, uh, we will see very cool speech-to-speech uh, -speech applications in the future. 
So I heard a yes in that answer. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, John, I'm going to you. Uh, interesting story. Uh, we're going to have synthetic voice people on every show. If, if, if the answer is no, you're going to offend not only the Tebow, but a bunch of people before and after. So don't worry about that. Uh, is this type of thing in this story a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, your your response? I think it's totally cool. Um, and I mean, again, I think it's going to be more of a deterministic type thing. Like, I mean, it I probably this dumbs it down too much, but it's going to be like, you know, Woody, like there's going to pull the string and there's going to be, there's a snake in my boot, you know, like it's, it's just going to know it's basic interactions that it's probably going to have and, and be, you know, somewhat repetitive on that. I don't think it's going to be self-learning. We're not going to have a Microsoft Tay type issue, you know, that's out there. And, and I think it just goes back to the other point too, that, you know, and, and Chris said on this, like one, you know, let's be real. Like there's no, there's no such thing as AI today, right? Like there's kind of insights, there's um, assistance, and then there's obviously some digital agents that are complete end-to-end -end tasks and maintain context in there that people would interchange in that. But at the end of the day, nothing's going to do anything that it doesn't have access to. All of these platforms, all of these systems, in order to do something different or to do something more than what they're designed, need to have access to those things to do it. You know, whether it be you know security privileges or otherwise that are out there. So I think this will be super cool, and um, a, a really I think it'll be awesome for the kids. Cool. And Chris, I'm giving you the last word on this. Uh, is this type of thing in this story good or bad? Your your uh, your take? I think it's cool. I think it's always been cool, but it's not new. I mean, we were doing this 20 years ago. I mean, I, there was a company. I looked them up actually because I I kind of just remembered their name and. I looked up when they were purchased by Amazon, but it was a company called Ivona. And, uh, you know, we worked with them. Uh, I feel like 20 years ago, I look back, they were bought by Amazon in 2013. But when we were doing voice for our avatars, our avatars were much more popular in the chatbot space back then. Um, and, uh, you know, that they were doing young, old voices, regional. We had a Scottish one. One of our avatars needed to have a Scottish accent voice. Um, you know, we've had the GPS units talking about cars again, having voices that you can kind of plug in and, of, of different people and famous people so i think it's really cool um but uh also um you know being a star wars fan i'm i'm you know looking forward to my boy being old enough to you know, so i've got a good excuse to kind of watch them all again but i mean you know these are going to be in toys aren't they they're going to be um uh, they're going to be interactive in in toys and and uh, voice not just one way not not just the text to speech of course um the the speech synthesization but also the 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 understanding of the intent and and uh, but yeah it's all it's all based on though that integration with the back end system to to make it work so the surprising thing for me is that you know i'm i'm surprised it's really a news item now in a way because uh you know this this technology's been around for some time and uh i guess it gets back to what timus was saying uh, you know they've, they've managed to strike a license deal that that's the new thing isn't it really in this article they've, they've managed to strike a license deal um you know with uh with disney i guess to to to, to create the voice and and make that commercially available um for, for darth vader well that's precisely it isn't it is that you know this is um uh, I, and I, I would love to to have access to the deal that was done with some of yep. these things, uh, because okay, so you've got James Earl Jones's voice and you got the rights to it. Okay, well, so if I if I have James Earl Jones, you know, Darth Vader, uh, talk about how great the Republican Party is. Now, are you going to come back and uh, say something about that, or if you have it, talk about how there was no such thing as nine eleven, or what? What about that? You know, I would love to see how these deals are constructed from a content point of view. 
Um, and uh, just such an interesting time we live in, uh, mm. you know, with all of this stuff. It's just challenging and it's fresh and it's fun to talk about. Gentlemen, thank you for taking the time. Timo, Sean, Chris, appreciate your time. Y'all are fantastic. Great comments. Thanks for making the time for this week in voice. Yep. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks. For this week in voice, season seven, episode three. Thank you for watching. If you're watching on YouTube or listening, uh, if you're on your podcast provider of choice, until next time.